We are in Hebrews, and uh, as I mentioned, we have uh, two weeks to go. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 13 uh, today, and then we're going to finish uh, chapter 13, also the back part of it, next week. And so for me, it's just been, it's been challenging. It's been a great book. It's been a challenging book. It's been an inspiring book. Uh, but, you know, generally when you come to the final chapter of any book, uh, you kind of are waiting for like, okay, the, the last thing is generally the thing that we remember most. Uh, and as I've been, you know, I'm sure you have read lots of books as well. You get to the last chapter, and that last chapter, it, it kind of puts everything together, and you find out what happens and how the story ends. And, um, well, as I was approaching just the last chapter of, of Hebrews, I wasn't looking for this epic finish uh, to this story, uh, to this letter. I really was just looking for, are there some truths uh, that I'm supposed to know? Uh, some truths that would actually impact uh, me and impact how I live and impact our community, impact how our community lives. So I'm reading the, the last chapter of Hebrews 13, not looking for this epic finish, but more just looking for some truths that he would want us to remember. And as I've been reading through Hebrews 13 many, many, many times, the one thing that God impressed in my heart to just share with you before we even look at Hebrews 13 is just this, I wrote it down in my journal like this, how we live our everyday lives matters to God. As I just read Hebrews 13 over and over and over and over some more, I just, how we live our everyday lives matters to God. Now, I realize that many of us might already know that, but I wonder how what we already know is actually shaping how we live every day. Meaning, it's, it's one thing to know that our lives, our everyday lives, not just part of our lives, but our everyday lives and everything that happens in any given day, I think many of us know that that matters to God, but there's a difference, a very different thing to actually live life every day, believing that everything you do that day matters to God. Everything you do in any given day, all of it, not just some of it, not just like the really big things, but everything that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, all of it matters to God. And so we've been in Hebrews for almost five months, and the one message that the author would not want us to miss is that if Jesus has really done everything that we've learned that Jesus has done, then that is going to make a tremendous difference in the life of those who look to Jesus in faith. Uh, if it's true that he's done everything that Hebrews has instructed, informed, told us that he's done, then those who are looking to Jesus in faith, our everyday life and everything that happens on any given day is going to look radically different than those who don't have a relationship with Christ, who don't know who Jesus is, don't know what Jesus has done. Uh, Tully and Chavinjan in a great book called Unfashionable said this, followers of Jesus have been given a new heart and mind, a new way, a new destiny. This is why we're to operate according to a different standard with different goals and motivations and an altogether different perspective on money, lifestyle, uh, and relationships. Our thoughts, our affections, our behavior, our priorities, and pursuits and passions all are to be different. Everything about who we are, everything about what we do is to be different in light of what God has done. So we don't live differently in order to get a response from God so God would do something for us. No, we live differently because in response to what he's already done for us. So one of the ways that I've been kind of thinking about uh, Hebrews 13 uh, and just kind of the phrases I wrote it down, how we live our everyday lives matters to God, I was thinking about it through the lens of this question. 
Will my everyday life be an answer to the questions that people are asking every day? Will my everyday life, who I am, what I'm doing on any given day, at any given moment, no matter who I'm with, will my everyday life be an answer to the questions that people are asking every day? Now, I know that people might not be coming up to you every single day and hitting you with different questions about spiritual things, but I really believe that questions that people are thinking about and wondering about, they just don't often have someone to talk to about it. Questions like, is God real? Or what is God actually like? Or what difference does faith even make? And so as I've been thinking about Hebrews 13, and uh, again, just the phrase, how I live my everyday matters to God, I've been thinking, will my life, will your life, and the way we live every day, will it give an answer to any of these questions? Would someone be able to look at your everyday life, your everyday moments, everyday conversations, everyday reactions and responses, and would they be able to say, well, that's what God's like, or that's what it means, that's the difference that faith makes in a person's uh, life. Um, Now, the author of Hebrews, he's spilled a lot of ink in now 13 chapters, but he's not spilled all this ink so we could just know something about Jesus. The the heart of Hebrews was not like, I I want you to know all this information. I want you to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He has told us all of these things, so once we know and have placed our faith in what Jesus has done, it would make a tremendous difference and impact in how we live, and, and such an impact that how we live is actually beginning to impact and influence those around us who don't know who God is. So this is not about information and knowing something about Jesus. This is about what we know of Jesus transforming our lives so God can use our lives that have been transformed by Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing to make a difference in the everyday person's life that interacts with you. Uh, Mark Driscoll wrote a great book called The Radical Reformation, and he said this, transform lives of people in the church are both the greatest argument for and the greatest explanation of the gospel. You are the greatest argument for uh, and the greatest explanation of what the power of God can do in somebody's life. You might just be able to have like a great theological argument with someone, but it will always be your life that will communicate most powerfully, most meaningfully uh, to those who are asking questions. Well, is there a God? And if there is a God, what is God like? And what difference does faith in God even make in a person's life? So how we live our everyday lives matters to God because every day, our everyday lives will reflect back to the world around us what God is like and what God can and will do with people who place their faith in him. Uh, I'm going to read eight verses in Hebrews chapter 13. And again, as you hear these things, I'm not looking for an epic finish, but we're looking, are there some truths that we should know that are going to impact how we live our everyday lives? Hebrews 13, just start at verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. Verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Verse 4, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Verse 5, don't love money 
Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, for God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. Verse 6, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Verse 7, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the, uh, the example of their faith. And then verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those are the eight verses uh, we're going to look at uh, this morning. And is, I, I just read that slow. You probably picked up, gosh, there's a lot of things in there. There's so many different things packed into just a, a short section of these eight verses. And so the question I have, if, if our life, everyday lives actually matters to God, then not only does God tell us how he wants us to live our everyday lives, but does God actually enable us, enable and empower us to live the lives that he actually calls us to live? And I think as we just walk through these few verses together, and hopefully we'll get through most of them, uh, you're going to say yes and yes. Yes, God does make pretty clear what our everyday life is supposed to look like. And yes, God actually is the one who enables and empowers us to live that very life. Now, what's really interesting, I'm going to share just a few things uh, of what everyday life looks like for those who are followers of Christ. Uh, And for those of you who are here, and you might be in the place of you're looking for something different. You're looking for something new. You're trying to figure out, gosh, who is God? How do I even have a relationship with God? Do I even want to have a relationship with God if that's possible? One of the things when I interact with people, I interact with a lot of people who are looking for something different in their life. And they're actually just kind of tired and have grown weary of just going through the motions of, I wake up, I either go to school, I go to work, I come home, I eat, I might hang out with someone, I go to bed, and I just do the cycle over and over again, and hopefully I can find some people that I enjoy hanging out with along the way. There are people that are asking questions like, is there more to my everyday existence than just going through the motions of school and work and maybe hanging out and eating some meals and sleeping and just repeating the whole cycle? So as I read these verses in Hebrews, I'm really inspired and encouraged that There is some direction from God of what everyday life with God looks like. And as we consider living our lives every day like that, well, gosh, that makes every day pretty exciting. To me, I I read this, and I'm not exhausted by any of these things. I'm like, okay, Lord, if this is what every day could look like and should look like, and you actually enable it to look like this, I'm excited for tomorrow. I'm excited for today, but I'm excited to see what God will do tomorrow. So here are a few things that we learned from Hebrews chapter 13 of what every day with life with God looks like. So number one, every day, persist in loving the family of God. Every day, persist, meaning be persistent in loving the family of God. It said in verse one, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer. Like, why do I need to be told to love you? Why would you need to be told to love me? But sadly, loving those who have hurt you the most is often the very hardest thing to do. Verse one, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So I realize it's not true of everyone here, but often those who have hurt or wounded us the greatest are the ones who are actually called by God to love us in the same manner that Christ has loved us. So 
I want to ask the question in Hebrews 13, verse 1, okay? Read it again. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. The question is, is that conditional or is it unconditional? Is that command, is that charge, is what we're told to do, keep on loving, is it a conditional charge, command, or is it an unconditional? Meaning, do we persistently love our brothers and sisters because they've done something to earn or merit that love from us? Meaning they've met a condition, Whatever condition you put on somebody, that they respected you, they pursued you, they were kind to you, if they met that condition that you placed, then are we to keep on loving when they keep meeting the conditions we have? Or is it unconditional? Do we persistently love our brothers and sisters regardless of what they've done or haven't done? I think we all kind of get, well, Michael, I'm, I'm guessing you're going to say it's an unconditional, and you're right, the answer is unconditional. But unconditional, persistent love is not often the love that is flowing from us to one another. We know, again, from verse 1, every day, be persistent in loving brother and sister, meaning the family of God, Christians. We know that it's an unconditional thing, but yet there's something in us that holds us back from loving people because they haven't met a certain condition. And so... Quick question, how might we grow in persistent, unconditional love for one another? How do you grow in that? Because I don't want to be that guy that just loves people when it's convenient to love people or when that person has met something that I had in my mind as as a list or conditions that they did, so now I will reciprocate. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that loves unconditionally. And so the question, how might I grow? How might we grow in unconditional love? Um... Milton Vincent wrote a great book uh, called The Gospel Primer, and he just said this, when my mind is fixed on the gospel, I have ample stimulation to show God's love to other people, for I am always willing to show love to others when I am freshly mindful of the love that God has shown me. So how do we love brother and sister, those who maybe have hurt us or wounded us? How do we love brother or sister, not conditionally, but unconditionally? And the answer is right there, when my mind is fixed where is fixed on what God, how God has loved me. Because the gospel declares that God has loved you and me unconditionally. We didn't meet a certain condition. We didn't jump through a certain hoop. And God was like, well, there, now I will love you. And so when my mind is fixed on how I am loved, how I am persistently loved by God, it is ample stimulation to show that same love to the people around me. So if my mind is fixed on what others have or have not done, then flowing out of that heart, that mind is gonna be bitterness and resentment. But if my mind is fixed, heart and mind fixed, fixated on the love that, can, that God continually, persistently shows me, well, guess what? It's gonna show up in how I love you. It will show up in how you love me. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This command is not given so that we would just feel all lovey-dovey towards each other so that we'd have like this love fest going on in here. That's not why the command to love one another was given, so we would just feel all great about each other. Do you know why the command to love one another was given by God? So that those who don't know who God is would see what God's love is like in the way that we are able to love one another. Because there's a lot of people who don't know when they think of God, they don't think of God as a loving God. But they might come to know, they might come to see, they might come to experience what the love of God is like if the people in the church would actually love one another the way that we have been loved. 
It says this in 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, since God loved us that much, and the first half of chapter 4 is all about what Jesus has done in loving us, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Translation, when we are loving each other as God has persistently loved us, those who don't know God, have never seen God, will get to see God through you and I in the way we love one another. So quick question, is there anyone that you need to love today that did not receive your love yesterday or the yesterdays before that? Is there someone as a brother, is there someone as a sister that has not received love from you yesterday or the days before or the months or even the years before because for some reason you've been fixated on what they have or have not done and that fixation has just led to a lot of hurt, a lot of bitterness and a lot of resentment and consequently people around you not actually seeing what the love of God looks like. And my challenge, my encouragement My invitation, please do not hold back from others what God has never held back from you. So this is every day. See, that's that's exciting to me. Every day, I get to love you. You get to love me as I've been loved by God. And so every day, I have opportunities. You will have opportunities to persist in loving the family of God, knowing that God uses that to encourage other people towards the great love of God. A second thing I'd share with you, every day, Remember to be hospitable to those you don't know. Remember to be hospitable to those you don't know. It says in verse 2, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. So here's the question. Why does God want us to be hospitable? And hospitable is to be kind, to be generous, to, to be caring to, to strangers, Why does God tell you, why does he tell me to be hospitable, to be kind, generous, and caring towards strangers, to to literally people that you do not know? And simply put, well, we're to be towards all people as God's been towards us. Joe Thorne in a great book, just a very short book called Note to Self, said this, God commands you to be hospitable because he himself is a welcomer of strangers. God commands you to be hospitable because he himself is a welcomer of strangers. Jesus is one who ate with sinners and welcomed the lost into his life, and he calls you to follow him in his example of hospitality. Called to be a welcomer of strangers, to show hospitality to strangers, because in doing so, we are doing what God ultimately once did for us. And the most basic idea of hospitality, biblically speaking, is to show kindness towards outsiders like you would towards an insider. The same kindness, the same care, the same concern that you would show to someone that you know, to someone that you love, to someone that you ultimately care about, that is the same way, the same kindness, the same concern, uh, the hospitality that we are to show towards those that we don't know. And here's kind of the fun thing, the beauty in being hospitable towards strangers. Do you know what the beautiful thing is? You don't know who they are. And because you don't know who they are, you don't know how God will use one act of hospitality in their life to bring them one step closer to knowing the hospitality of God. So your 
one act of hospitality, of generosity, of care and concern in a stranger's life, whoever that person may be, that might be the very thing that will bring that one person, those two people, that group of people, one step closer, one step closer to to seeing, to knowing, to receiving the hospitality of God. And I love how the author of Hebrews knows we might struggle with every everyday hospitality. This might be hard, so he puts in an encouragement, a motivator. And by the way, some of you in doing this are actually entertaining angels. Now, that could be a whole separate message of what that even means, uh, but he's referring back to an example in Abraham who was showing hospitality, hospitality to some strangers who, in fact, turned out to be angels. Now, um, the question I would ask, practically speaking, what does it look like to be hospitable to strangers? I, strangers, someone you don't know. What does it look like to be hospitable, generous, kind, caring to a stranger? I wrote it down like this, to be kind, generous, and caring to those that you don't know so that in time you find yourself not surrounded by strangers but by people with names and stories you now know. The goal as you go every day is that you find yourself surrounded by less and less strangers because of the things that you are doing to get to know their name, get to know their story, get to know a way that you might just meet a need that they might have. If you find yourself constantly just surrounded by strangers, well, verse 2 in Hebrews chapter 13 might really need to resonate deep within your heart. But if you find that I'm getting in a, my world is getting smaller where it's not filled with strangers, but it, I actually know their names and I know a little bit of their stories, uh, you're living out Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Uh, Mike, he's our UPS driver. I met Mike nine years ago. And uh, Mike has been, uh, we met him because I order Amazon comes to our house like every day. And so every day for the past, not literally every day, but it feels like it, we get to know this guy, Mike. And Mike has literally now watched my kids grow up. And so every time we pass the big brown truck, they're like, Dad, is that Mike? Like, no, that's not Mike. And we were driving down Washington Street uh, just the other day on Thursday, and they were like, Dad, there's a truck. Is that Mike? And so I slowed down. I was like, it's Mike. And they're like, well, turn around. we got to go see him. I'm like, dang it. (laughs) Mike has gotten to be in a small way, not even a small way, but part of our family. He's watched my kids grow up. Why? Because every time Mike came to our house, we were just hospitable to him to the point where he would now come to our house and now come in and just talk. He would take time at his lunch break just to come in and tell us about what's going on in his life. So when his marriage fell apart, he came and said, I don't know what to do. When he was having a hard time with his son, Michael, can, would you meet with my son? And by the way, this guy, he's not a Christian, doesn't believe in God, but for some reason, the, the guy who delivers packages to our house after showing hospitality was like, maybe you could do something. And now he doesn't even deliver packages to our house as often because he's like, well, I know Michael's at Genesis, so I'll just take the packages there. Out of his route. And Friday, when he delivered packages, what is he, he says, hey, are you up for playing some golf again? Yeah, let's go play golf. This is just one example, but he's not a stranger to me anymore. Verse 2 says, people you don't know, people who are strangers, be hospitable to them. And the hospitality that you do every day to that person in your office, 
that you might see from a distance but never have even taken the time to say, hey, what's your name? I've seen you around. I'm just, thanks for what you do. That's hospitality. Your hospitality, you might not know them, but you don't know how God will use your hospitality to bring them one step closer. And you might say, Michael, I got a lot of strangers in my life, and I can't possibly do that every day for every single person. And I get that. Neither can I. But my challenge, my encouragement to you would be simply this. Would you begin doing for one or maybe a few what you wish you could do for everyone and just see what God does with that? I agree. You can't do it for every single person that comes across your path, but you can do it for one. You can do it for a few. And I tell you what, every day, that makes every day a lot more exciting to see what God uses, how he uses your hospitality. Uh, A third thing is this. Every day, remember, there are many who are suffering greatly. Every day, there are many who are suffering greatly. And Hebrews chapter 13 says this, remember those in prison as if you were there yourselves. Remember also uh, those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Now, in the first century, many in the church were being persecuted to the point of death, persecuted to the point of being imprisoned. Now, I realize that there are not many here, maybe in our immediate circles, who are suffering imprisonment or being mistreated because of our faith in Christ, but the message for us uh, towards anyone, towards those who are suffering, is to, to be compassionate. And compassion just means love and action, is to love those who are hurting to those who are suffering. When I first read that verse and, and was really sitting with it, uh, I was really convicted. Uh, this, is, this was what my conviction was. I need to repent of being an out of sight, out of mind type of person. I hate that I'm like that. That's not a good quality. That's not like a biblical trait to be an out of sight, out of mind type of person. That's not like pleasing to God that if, I'm not, if they're not in my immediate periphery, that I'm not thinking about them, that I'm not praying for them, that I'm not caring for them. Scripture says, remember, there are many who are suffering greatly. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own body. Is anyone else like that? Because if you are, I want to invite you to repent from being an out of sight, out of mind type of person. The, the gift that you and I can give to those who are in suffering uh, is this. What's the gift that you would want most when you're suffering? Give them that gift. And honestly, nine times out of ten, the gift that we want in the midst of our suffering is somebody's presence. We just want somebody who would be willing to sit with us, not to fix us, not to explain theologically, philosophically, the problem of pain in our lives, but we just want someone who would be willing, would you just sit with me? You don't even have to say anything. Could, would you just sit and would you just be? Job had three friends. And uh, the whole story of Job is about his suffering. And he had three friends at the very beginning of the story who did for Job what Job needed most. It said this, when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Now, they started talking after that, and it didn't help, but they started out well. They just sat, and they just saw, man, his pain is so great. 
There's nothing I can say, but I can offer my very presence to this man right now. So my question to you would be, is there anyone who's in need of your compassion, love and action today, and just know that your compassion, love and action, is a tangible expression of the presence of God in the midst of someone else's suffering. See, to me, again, this is exciting. Every day, I have the opportunity not to be the out-of-sight, out-of-mind guy, but I have the opportunity to be a tangible expression of someone's, of sitting with someone, being with someone, encouraging someone in the midst of their pain, their hurt, and their suffering, that that's a, a picture of God being very present with them. Fourth thing I'd share with you is this. Every day, honor that which God declares honorable. Every day, honor that which God declares honorable. Hebrews 13 says this, verse four. We're just walking through these verses. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are moral and those who commit adultery. Now, I don't think I have to convince you, work too hard to convince you, but marriage in our culture between a man and a woman is not lifted up as something to be honored, something to be cherished, something to be respected, something to say there's reverence in that that relationship. But yet scripture says we're to honor that which God has said is honorable. Marriage is often deemed as a curse, sometimes by those who are in it. And sometimes by people who are single, like, why would I want to be married? Every married couple I know is miserable. Every married couple I know, all they do is a lot of this, a lot of fighting. Why are we called to give honor to the marriage relationship? Uh, Justin Buzzard, uh, in a great book called Date Your Wife, guys, if you're looking for a good read, it's a short one and it's good, says, God invented this. God invented this. God created a man, then God created a woman. Then God brought her to the man, and with one look at the woman, the man fell in love. It was God's brilliant idea to create man, to create woman, and join them in marriage. This unique union that begins with a look and quickly escalates into shouts of joy, nakedness, and uninhibited freedom and closeness so mysterious is described as becoming one flesh. Why are we to honor this? Because it's from God. We didn't make up marriage. We didn't create the concept. We didn't create the idea of marriage. God invented this. This is from God, from God for us. And if it's from God, anything that's from God, we honor that. Why? Because God is the one who created it and gives it to us as a gift. So the question is, how does one honor that which God declares honorable? And here's the answer. We remain faithful to the one God has given us. That's how you, how you honor the, the marriage relationship, remain faithful to what God has given us. And I want to be really clear in this point. Faithfulness is not seen in your ability not to have sex with someone else. That's not faithfulness. That's part of it. But just because you might be able to say, you know what, I have not committed adultery on my husband or I have not committed adultery on my wife, therefore I must be honoring God with this relationship because I haven't had sex with somebody else. I I wanted you to catch faithfulness is seen in your ability to guard your eyes, your heart, your mind from anything and everything that would not be honoring to God. So here's the question I have to ask myself every day. Is about, is what I'm about to do, is about, is what I'm about to think about, is, is what I'm about to look at, is what I'm about to click on, is that honoring to God? And if God says, no, that's not honoring to me, then it's a surefire thing that that won't be honoring to Kyla either. 
the way that I can honor God and honor Kyla is by doing things that I know are honoring to him and things that are not honoring thoughts in my mind, allowing things in my vision, dwelling on things, allowing myself to see certain things on the internet or movies that you go to. If any of those are not honoring to God, then you are being unfaithful to the marriage relationship. So I have a question for those who are married here today. For those who are married, is there anything that you are currently doing today that is not honoring to God, that's not honoring to your spouse? Anything. Anything that you've just been thinking about. Anything that you've been watching. Anything that you've been clicking on. Anything that you've been listening to. Anything that you've been entertaining. Is there anything that you know has not been honoring to God? My invitation, confess to God what he already knows. God, this has not been honoring to you. And confess to your husband, confess to your wife. I have not honored you because these are the things that I have not protected my heart, my mind, my eyes from. My question to those who are single, but yet you desire to be married one day, is there anything that you are doing today that is not honoring to God, thus honoring to your future spouse? And my invitation to you would simply be, confess to the Lord what he already knows so that you can begin to do things that are honoring to your spouse that you might meet tomorrow. Too many homes are not being protected because we just don't ask ourselves a very simple but challenging question, is what I'm about to do, is, about, is what I'm about to say, is, is what I'm about to think, is, is what I'm about to look at, is it honoring to God? If it's not, why would you do that? Why would you do something that you know is not honoring to your wife? Why would you do something that you know is not honoring to your husband? And to those who are single, but yet you want to be married one day, why would you do something today that you know would not honor them today? Why would you plant seeds of living a life not honoring to the Lord, thus not honoring to a spouse, whether currently or future? And the message of Hebrews 13, 4 is just give honor to marriage and remain faithful because God is the one who created as this as a gift for us. The fifth, and wow, every day, I'm just gonna give this to you. Every day, choose contentment, contentment in God alone. Every day, choose contentment in God alone. Hebrews 13, five says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. Now, I realize that some of you are like, Michael, I don't love money. I don't like sit around and count the dollar bills in my wallet uh, or maybe the tens or maybe the twenties or fifties if you're that. Maybe you don't sit around counting all that you have, but a love of money is not seen in like physically holding money and counting money. Love of money is often most seen and what we think money would do for us if I had more of it. And the thing with money is it is so sneaky. It is absolutely, I've never had someone come up to me and say, Michael, could you pray for me? Because I just love money, and I realize that I'm not being generous with the money that I have. Most of us don't even think about it. Uh, Tim Keller, in, uh, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he said it really well. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying I spent too much money on myself. I think my love of money is harming my family, my soul, and my people around me. And he goes on to say, greed hides itself from the victim. But the beauty of, you know, 
you might know this because you've heard this before in, in church, but Scripture, Jesus makes clear that you can't love God and you can't love money. You're going to serve one. You, you can't serve two masters. But here's the beauty of Hebrews 13, 5, when it says, uh, don't love money. Don't love money. Because the, the follow-up verse to this uh, is, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. And so when you hear the question, Uh, This question, are you content with what you have? Most people think, gosh, well, I'd be a little bit more content if I had a nicer place, a nicer car, uh, a nicer whatever it might be. But the question of contentment is never found in what we have, what we possess, but it's found in who we know. Because it says, are you content to know that God says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Are you content in knowing that and knowing a God who says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forget about you. What, who else would ever promise us such a thing? Where could you ever hear such a thing? Someone tell you, I will never leave you. I will never forget about you. I will never forsake you. I will not let you down. But yet, we're often content. If I had this, if I had a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit nicer, a little bit whatever, contentment is found in not what we have, but contentment is found in who we know. Those are a few of the things I wanted to share with you, and uh, I asked the question, if my everyday life matters to God, and it does, does God make clear what my everyday life could look like, should look like? And just in these few verses, he's given us a picture of what everyday life could look like, and it's exciting. It's really exciting. It makes tomorrow, I'm excited for tomorrow of who I'm going to get to meet, the opportunities I'll have to, to love someone, encourage someone, to challenge someone, to draw someone maybe a step closer to knowing the amazing love of God. But... The final question that I was going to ask is, does God actually help us, enable us to live this life? Because you can't live the life God wants you to live on your own. Never in Scripture does it say, all right, here's what I want you to do. Now go do it. Good luck. God enables you and he empowers you to live every day a life that is pleasing, that is honoring to him. In verse 8, and this is the truth I wanted you to catch, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus who was faithful to encourage, to empower by his spirit, these people who are reading these words for the first time is the same Jesus who will be faithful to encourage us, to empower us to live the life that God wants us to live. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, in a world where everything changes on a moment's notice, on a world just filled with complete inconsistencies, in a world filled with people like you and I who are inconsistent. I'm thankful for verse 8 when it says, Jesus is not like that. Even when you're inconsistent, he'll be consistent. Even when everything around you is changing, and it does, we have the promise in verse 8 that says, Jesus, he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. So the one who calls us to live this life is the one who empowers us to live the life that is pleasing and honoring to him.